This week on the Dylan and Dylan Show, we draft the best trade deadline acquisitions in this week's out-of-the-box draft. Our Q&A covers the college football playoff rankings and Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. And we also give our opinions on the new college football overtime rules. This week in sports covers the World Series and baseball as a whole as the offseason gets underway. And picks for Auburn versus Texas A&M, Wake Forest versus North Carolina, and UTSA versus UTEP. After one of the most humbling weekends in a while, we are back to bring you another fun episode of the show. Dylan Jesperson here with me, as always, is my main man, Dylan Holt. Dylan, how are you doing today, my man? Um, I'm a lot better than I was at this time on Monday afternoon. Uh, it, was, it was a weird weekend. The Titans got a big win. They beat the Colts in what was one of the weirdest football games ever. Or NFL. College gets a lot of wacky games. NFL games are usually... You kind of know what to expect. That, that Colts-Titan game was just weird. And Derrick Henry didn't have the best game, but he still, I mean, Derrick Henry had 70 uh, yards and had a couple of really big runs. Then Monday morning comes out, he has a Jones fracture. He's going to be out for basically the rest of the year, which sucks. But Adrian Peterson's a Titan. The Titans now have three 2,000-yard rushers in the book uh, for all time, Chris Johnson, Derrick Henry, Adrian Peterson. So it's it's positive notes only. Um, it's only up from here. That's that's what we got to keep your mind on. So yeah, excited for a great show today. Excited for a good show as well. Yeah, it was a, it was a weird weekend for sure for both of us. We we talked about it humbling for sure. I was really excited and nervous going into that Michigan Michigan State game, and we'll go we'll get into it. But a lot of mixed emotions about how the uh, outcome turned out. Uh, uh, but mainly a humbling weekend for sure. But uh, still a lot of fun stuff to get into from the wide world of sports. A uh, quick reminder to follow and subscribe to Tunnel Vision Sports wherever you listen to podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode. One of those awesome things that happened this week, uh, it was an awesome moment just a few nights ago as the Atlanta Braves won their first World Series since 1995, took care of the Astros. We will get into that a little bit later, but a certain player from that series inspired this week's out-of-the-box draft, and I don't want to say his name in case either of us are planning on drafting him in this draft, but we are doing the -the out-of-the-box draft centered around trade deadline acquisitions, athletes who have switched teams at the deadline and gone on to be major parts of that new franchise. Uh, Should be a fun one to look back on, especially with the NFL trade deadline that just concluded uh, recently as well. Uh, so we are going to get right into it here. Dylan's getting that trusty coin ready to go for us here. Maybe a new one this week. Yeah, it's uh, 2016 Illinois. Mm. You got the Shawnee uh, National Forest on there. It's right up the road from me. Yeah, I will trust Shawnee. the Illinois on the tail side this week. There we go, tails. Shawnee National Forest. That's what I needed. I will take the second and third picks this week. Uh, I will give you the first pick for uh, this week's draft, so you can go ahead. Okay, that's 
Are you okay with me? Um, I am going to go with the trade that sticks out in my mind personally because it's one, from one of my favorite teams. And I always got to bring my favorite teams uh, into these drafts. And I'm going back to 2009 uh, when the Cardinals got Matt Holliday. Uh, that was a massive move. They traded um, – I've got it's prospects. I, I can't remember. The, the, the prospects that they sent to Oakland for Matt Holliday ended up not being – worth it for Oakland because Matt Holiday, the things he added to the Cardinals were just incredible. Uh, ended up in 2011 winning the World Series, huge part of that. Uh, and then went back in 14 and it's a huge part of that team, but, but fell short. Uh, but yeah, Matt Holiday went down to like one of my favorite Cardinals. A lot of younger Cardinals fans, he's definitely up there with Pujols and Molina is just one of those guys that kind of carried us to a lot of success and did a lot of really, really good things at Cardinals uniform. So yeah, Matt Holiday. Number one, when I think of trade deadline moves, I think of Matt Holiday coming to the Cardinals. So, yeah, I had to go with him first. Yeah, I assume that one of those Cardinals trades with the Oakland Athletics at the trade deadline would be your number one pick. That's kind of why uh, I let you go with that because I, you know, I didn't have those on my top four picks for that reason. So I was like, I'll let Dylan uh, take whichever Cardinals one he would like there. Uh, and I will go with, a, you know, two back to back here. Uh, great pick there, though. I did have it on the alternates in case somehow it snuck through your uh, your top four. Uh, with my first pick, I'm also going to go with a, a bias pick. What I think of in terms of trade deadlines, uh, trade deadline deals. And it's the Detroit Pistons trading with the Atlanta Hawks to get Rasheed Wallace in 2004. Uh, Sheed was one of the biggest parts of that Pistons franchise for about six or seven years after that, but obviously a huge part of that 04 team that upset the, the 04 Lakers, that super team that was the 04 Lakers with Kobe, Shaq, uh, Gary Payton, Carl Malone. I mean, that team was just so great. And then the Pistons were able to upset them. And Rashid was just such a big part of it. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, we gave up a lot of backup guards in that, in that trade that weren't, wasn't really big, but the two picks, we gave up two first round picks. Those turned into Tony Allen and Josh Smith. So very solid picks that uh, we ended up giving up, but um, not Rashid Wallace-esque. Uh, and we got a title out of it. So it's something that sticks out in my mind for sure. So I had to have Rashid Wallace in that trade deadline deal uh, with my second pick with the wraparound pick. Uh, I'm going to baseball. Baseball definitely dominates trade that de- trade deadline deals. There's a lot of bigger ones in the baseball realm. Um, I'm going back to 2008. I'm going in your division. Uh, the Brewers going and getting CC Sabathia from the Cleveland Indians. Uh, I feel like CC's time in Milwaukee kind of gets forgotten because he was so good in Cleveland for so long. Uh, and then he was a part of that, obviously that Yankees team that was so good for a really long time too, in the, the mid two thousands. Uh, But when Milwaukee traded for him back in 08, uh, CC went on to go just nuts that year. He went 11 and two, had a 1.65 ERA and seven complete games in a Brewers uniform. Uh, They would go on to lose to the Phillies in the NLDS who would go on to win the World Series that year. But um, it was just an awesome year from CC Sabathia, kind of a forgotten year and one of the best, you know, trade deadline acquisitions for a a pitcher. Uh, They give up four prospects. One of them turned out to be Michael Brantley, but, uh, I think it's still a pretty solid trade for what they uh, gave up and what they got for it. So um, I'll take CC Sabathia and Rasheed Wallace, and I'll throw it back to you for your next two picks. Rasheed Wallace, I had him in the back pocket. I, I really like that pick because uh, you he, he can't help but love Rasheed Wallace. And he was a Piston through and through. He just felt like a Detroit Piston. But I had to let you get that one. Uh, and then CC Sabathia, I completely forgot he was a Milwaukee Brewer. And it just completely left my mind. So that's a really good uh, pick as well. Uh, I'm going to go to basketball as well with my next pick. I'm going to go to another, the kind of the NBA 
equivalent to my Matt Holiday one. It's kind of the trade I think of when I think of maybe the NBA trade deadline. And that's uh, looking back to, uh, I don't know the exact year. I just, when I wrote this down, I said the Mellow trade. When Mello went from New, uh, from Denver to New York, there was a massive freaking trade. The Knicks got Mello, Chauncey Billups, Corey Brewer, uh, Renato Balkman, Anthony Carter, and Sheldon Williams. The Timberwolves got Eddie Curry, Anthony Randolph, and a 2015 second round pick. And then Denver got Danilo Gallinari, Raymond Felton, Wilson Chandler, Timothy Mozgov, Costa Kufis, a 2012 second round pick, a 2013 second round pick, and a 2014 first round pick. Just a massive trade. And that was like, the height of Mello just being the man. Uh, and I was a huge Mello guy. I, I still remember getting uh, the notifications. And I was early years of being a sports fan. It's enough to where you know what's going on. It's like, holy cow, Mello just got moved to the Knicks. Are the Knicks back? And they sort of were. They weren't really to the height of the East, but that was when LeBron was running things in Miami with D. Wade and Bosch. But I just remember how exciting that was when uh, Melo put on the blue and orange of New York and it was like Melo's homecoming and stuff. Really, really, really cool. Uh, really, really cool stuff. But yeah, that Melo trade always sticks out in my head, especially with basketball trade deadline deals. And then uh, you kind of alluded to it uh, a few moments ago, but I am going to go to another Cardinals athletics trade. And I'm going back to 1997 when the Cardinals got Mark McGuire from the Oakland Athletics for reliever TJ Matthews and two other prospects which when I looked up the trade description, it didn't even tell me the two other prospects. So that, that tells you all you need to know. Martin McGuire, one of the best Cardinals ever. Um, after the 97 season, he, he signed an extension. Uh, and then, you know, he just ended up hitting 70 home runs and then 65 home runs. No big deal. Uh, one of the best power hitters ever. He, everyone knows all the things surrounding him, but it's Martin McGuire. Um, I obviously don't remember the trade deadline of 1997. I was a mere pup, uh, but uh, I don't remember it. But I've been told the stories many, many times by older Cardinal fans. And I wish I would have uh, been cognitive in those years to remember Mark McGuire hitting all those home runs in St. Louis because he put on a show. So, yeah, Mark McGuire, Mello, joined Matt Holiday on my team. I'll throw it to you for your last two picks. Yeah, I definitely knew Mark McGuire was going to be that other pick. Uh, definitely knew that one was coming. With the Mellow pick, I had those in my alternates. Uh, the only problem I have with that pick is that Mellow probably would have signed with the Knicks the next year, and they would have kept all of those players that they gave up. Uh, they just were so desperate to make the fans happy because the Knicks were so bad for so long uh, that they were just like, all right, we're going to get Mellow. We're going to just do it now, and then they signed him to a big deal right after that. It's like you could have just waited for free agency. But it was a it's a, a very dominant uh, – in my mind as a young basketball fan too. It's, it's one of the big deals you think about in terms of trade deadline deals. Um, I am going to swing to the NFL. I do have one NFL pick. We talked about it before the draft or before the show started, the NFL is a little bit lacking in terms of these uh, uh, trade deadline picks. Um, But there's one guy that sticks out uh, in the, in the past few years too, uh, in terms of, trade deadline deals in the NFL and that's Marshawn Lynch going from Seattle to or from Buffalo to Seattle in 2010 uh Seattle just had to give up a couple middle round picks and they got you know their franchise running back for the next decade he would go on to make five pro bowls win a super bowl 
could have been two Super Bowls if they would have just handed him the ball in that in that New England game uh, and would go on to be one of the most feared runners in the league. And he's, you know, an iconic back. And, uh, you know, I've referenced it in this out, these out-of-the-box drafts before. That Beast Quake run is just, you know, one of the, one of my favorite plays in football. You know, uh, so the fact that they got Marshawn Lynch in a trade deadline deal, I was like, all right, I got to put that on my list. I got to make sure I get that on there. Uh, with my last pick, I alluded to it in the lead-up. I'm taking Jorge Soler from the Braves in this year's trade deadline. Um, and this is definitely recency bias, but I really don't care at this point because the Ra- the Braves lost an MVP-worthy worthy hitter in Ronald Acuna Jr. to an ACL injury. So they should not have had a chance to win the World Series this year. They were not a good team, um, especially without Acuna. But then they went out, they go and get Jorge Soler at the deadline. And a lot of people thought maybe that, you know, that's a kind of a reactionary pickup. The Braves don't really have a chance this year, but goes out and has just an unbelievable postseason, becomes one of their most feared hitters. Uh, and then in their biggest game, the clinching game, hits an absolute missile to the train tracks in Houston, uh, takes home World Series MVP and I'm sure Atlanta fans are just going nuts about that trade that now I'm sure they're so happy that they made that trade at this point. So I had to put it on my list. I think, you know, that's one of the best, just straight up deals that we're going to go back and go, okay, that was a, that was a deal that that GM made to go get Jorge Soler and replace a guy like Acuna like that for a world series run. Um, probably would have looked really silly if they didn't go on and win, but Hey, that's, that's the benefit of winning. You don't really have to look at it uh, that way if you don't want to, but uh, I'll get Marshawn Lynch and Jorge, Jorge Soler on my team. I'll throw it to you for your last pick. Um, really like that pick, obviously. The whole reason we're talking about this right now is Jorge Soler and what the Braves just did. Um, but I'm going to finish off with basketball with one of the most even trades probably ever, in my opinion, because I think it worked out for both franchises, which doesn't mostly happen with trades. Um, Thought back to, I believe, 2005. I had these years wrote down but I'm going off a different note that I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going Lakers Grizzlies. The Lakers got Pau Gasol and Devin Ebank from a draft pick, a future draft pick. And the Grizzlies got Kwame Brown, Mark Gasol, uh, Javaris Crittenden, a draft pick that turned into Dante Green and a draft pick that turned into Grievous Vasquez. That's a very even trade. Pau Gasol turns into one of the best Lakers. At, well, that might be a stretch. A lot, a lot of really good Lakers. Pau Gasol is definitely up there, though. He's very, very, very good basketball player. His brother, Mark Gasol, who was more of a project at the time when he got sent to Memphis, is probably the best Grizzly ever. It's him or Mike Conley. Jaw's going to be the best Grizzly ever. But, I mean, right now, it's, it's probably Mark Gasol. And, I mean, he was the leader, him and Mike Conley, the leader of the grit and grind era in Memphis. Pal goes wins championships, all-stars. Mark, I mean, yeah, the standards of the Lakers and the Grizzlies. It's just, it's not the same. The Lakers expect championships. The Grizzlies, especially Mark Gasol got there. They had only been in Memphis for a few years. They'd just come over from Vancouver, and they weren't in Vancouver long. That I mean, Memphis is still a super young franchise. So a little bit different standards between the Lakers and Grizzlies. Uh, but worked out because Mark Gasol, one of the best Grizzlies ever. Powell is too. Powell's definitely up there. Um, and then Powell goes to the Lakers, wins a couple championships. So all rooks out in the end, very, very good deal uh, for both sides. And that's best thing about trades when both teams win. So, yeah, had to had to go out with the Gasol brothers because you can't really call it the Powell Gasol trade or the Mark Gasol trade. It's it's both of them. It's the Lakers, Grizzlies, Gasol brother swap uh, end off the batch with going with Mark McGuire, Carmelo Anthony, and Matt Holiday. 
Yeah, and that uh yeah, I had Jorge Soler, Marshawn Lynch, um CC Sabathia and Rashid Wallace. And yeah, I had for my alternates, well I'll let you get your list in a second, but I had all of your four on my alternates list. Um and I just had written down the Gasol swap. I didn't really put it, there's it's tough to say that's the Powell trade or the Mark trade because both teams, you're, like you said, both teams got the best out of those two players uh, after that trade went down. Um, the only other two I had written down was the 2010 uh, Cleveland trade to get Corey Kluber from the Padres. He would go on to win a couple Cy Youngs for, for the Indians. And then in 2001, uh, the Sixers going to get to Ken Mutombo from Atlanta. They would go on to, you know, go to the NBA finals, lose to the Lakers. But uh, he is, you know, kind of an iconic part of that 0-176ers team with Allen Iverson. So uh, I thought that was a big one. Uh, did you have any alternates that you didn't get to draft? Yeah, I had um, everything the Braves did. So the Braves, they made a plethora of moves in 2021 this year to win that World Series that they won a couple nights ago. Uh, obviously, Jorge Slur st- sticks out, but they made a couple other moves. Uh, so I just had that kind of bundled up into one uh, for an alternate. And then Jay Ajay in 2017 going from the Dolphins to the Eagles. Jay Ajay, people forget because he kind of fell off the face of the earth. He was awesome for the Dolphins. And the Eagles were like, hey, uh, we'll take him for a fourth round pick. And then they went and won a Super Bowl. Um, and then the, I have two more, which I, they always stick out in my head. Christoph Porzingis going to the Mavericks and then Boogie Cousins going to the Pelicans. Those just, I remember getting Woj bombs. That's like the modern trade deadline uh, thing is getting those Woj bombs in the middle of February. And it's like, whoa, this guy's going here. Yeah. With Woj bombs, you've got, that's the modern era of the trade deadline, especially in the NBA. Because you get the you have the Twitter notifications on, and Woj is like breaking news: X players going here, like Boogie's going to New Orleans, Kristaps is going to Dallas, and it's the middle of February, and it's two degrees outside. And you're like, what is going on? The NBA will never be the same. And then the Warriors just won another championship, and then it just the status quo stays the same for the most part. But uh, it's always fun because the moving pieces that's what makes all these. Uh, league's fun because you never know what's going to happen next and you can't wait to check twitter or see what the latest trade is no matter what's going on it it makes everything interesting the moving pieces yeah and we should be seeing uh probably some more in the next coming months the nba trade deadline should be coming pretty quickly even though the season just started um and then the mlb obviously we're going to see a lot of things as this offseason progresses uh we're going to get into that a little bit later but be sure to stay tuned to our social media pages so you can vote on the better lineup of trade deadline acquisitions. All right, we will move on to the question and answer segment this week. Both of our questions surround college football, but Dylan's questions uh, may be a bit more widely appealing and a more pressing question. So I'm going to throw it to Dylan for his question first this week. So why are the college football playoff rankings so bad? I know it's very broad, but that's what I'm leaving you with. I want to hear your opinion on why they just – They just leave a bad taste in my mouth and it feels like a lot of people's mouths. And I want to hear your opinion on it. Yeah. I think this, this set of rankings was the climax of people's frustrations with the college football playoff committee and their rankings that have come out because uh, you know, I I think every year we go through the same thing of like, okay, these seem pretty biased and these seem not to like not consistent from last year or even consistent from week to week. Uh, and every year we go into it thinking, okay, this year it'll be different. You know, we kind of understand things a bit better now. Uh, we should know what's coming this week. And then all of a sudden they drop something like they did this week. And uh, 
I think this is just the epitome of everyone going, okay, this is, this is too much. This has gone in the wrong direction too far. Uh, and I think there's a few problems with it. Uh, and first off is that, you know, the criteria uh, using humans to, to choose this, when we went from the BCS, from computers, basically choosing everything to humans, choosing everything uh, in a small group of, of people choosing it. Uh, we almost don't, it, it seems like the criteria not only year by year and week by week changes, but team by team, it seems like criteria changes. Uh, Alabama seems to be at number two just because of the eye test. You know, they don't really have a big win. Uh, Their loss isn't that great of a loss, but, you know, we just kind of know Alabama's pretty good, so we're going to throw them at number two. Uh, MSU has a big win now and is undefeated, uh, but Oregon has a blemished record, and they're just one spot behind them. Um, So I don't – I don't – really see a consistent way that they're using to rank these teams I just feel like it's kind of uh you know what they feel like and probably the the loudest voice in that room is is winning the day at that point uh because a lot of this isn't consistent with a lot of the things that we're seeing as college football fans and in the polls um and I think the bias towards the elite teams is just getting laughable to this point because I mean if you look at Wake Forest resume uh, I obviously don't think Wake Forest is like a top five team, but if Clemson had Wake Forest resume, they'd be number two in the country right now. So I, I don't know. And we all understand that and know that. And I think that's the biggest problem with the committee is that we know that even if we did everything, you know, some of these teams, if they did everything that they could, you know, Cincinnati wins out, you know, uh, a team like Wake Forest goes undefeated. It wouldn't be enough for them to, you know, outdo a one loss Alabama team just because that's how the committee feels about them. It doesn't really matter what goes on on the field. It's just uh, as long as Alabama's there, or as long as Clemson's there, or as long as Ohio State's at least has a shot at making the, the playoffs, they're, they're going to be there. And I, I think that's, you know, once we, I think this, this list of rankings has put us to the point where if we're going to switch to this 12 team playoff that we talked about the past few weeks and talked about for months at the time for this NCAA stuff, um, we're going to need to change it up a little bit in how we select those teams, because this, uh, I don't think this top 12, if you were looking at this from a top 12 perspective, some of the matchups would just be like, you know, ridiculous. The fact that Alabama would get a, a buy and, you know, a, 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 a undefeated, Wake Forest or Oklahoma team would be sitting there trying to win a first round game it, you know that those are the things we can't have happen so uh, I think and I think one more thing I think a big part of it is that the the committee seems to think that a lot of these things are going to work themselves out you know obviously teams are going to play each other Michigan State and Ohio State are going to play each other down the road and it's like don't do that just tell us who you think are the best teams uh, and then it'll work itself out that way you know if if it, it surprises you and Michigan State beats Ohio State down the road then that's fine you know but uh, we need to stop ranking teams basically off of, you know, just whatever criteria we feel like and ranking them on, you know, specific criteria. Uh, what are your thoughts on the college football? Uh, why everything's so bad right now? I just don't get it. I Alabama should not be number two. I, I understand Alabama's loaded with talent, but they lost to an unranked Texas A&M team. I understand the college football playoff is making it look better, because Texas A&M comes in at 14. Well, guess what? Alabama went to Kyle Field, and they lost to an unranked A&M team. That's just how it is. I, Alabama has all the talent in the world. They're not number two. That Georgia's number one. That's, yeah, congrats, college football playoff committee. You got that right. I think a blind nun in China could tell you that Georgia is number one in the country right now. They are by far the best team. 
I have no problem with Michigan State sitting at number three. I think they just beat a very good Michigan team. They they deserve praise right now. Oregon at four is weird. Why is Oregon number four? No one – I don't think any – I think you could go to Autzen Field and they would tell you we're not number four in the country. Ohio State at five, again, that seems weird. Both of those teams coming in before Cincinnati, even Alabama, it all just feels weird with the things Cincinnati's done because they have been impressive. They beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame's number 10. That Like, what's going on here? And they and then going and not ranking SMU is bizarre. SMU's good. And they're like, oh, SMU's 22 in the AP poll. Uh, let's be smarky and make sure people don't have an argument for Cincinnati. We're not going to rank them. Instead, we'll put in Pittsburgh and then throw in Mississippi State at 17. What in the world is that? I, I like the SEC. I think the SEC plays a good brand of football. I'm a Tennessee fan. I appreciate the Southeastern Conference. Mississippi State is not the 17th best team in the country. I know they just boat raced Kentucky. Kentucky had a bad game. They had to go to Starkville. They had to deal with all those stupid cowbells, and they played a bad game. They got beat. Kentucky's not bad. I'm excited. I'm going to get to watch Kentucky play this weekend in Lexington against Tennessee. Just because Mississippi State beat a good Kentucky team doesn't mean they go from unranked to 17. That's absurd. That you're, They're telling us that Mississippi State is right there with Ole Miss. That There's just no way. Ole Miss comes in at 16, Mississippi State 17. If you've paid any attention to the SEC, Ole Miss is leaps and bounds above Mississippi State. And I, that's just frustrating. I like, I don't want to come off as just a Mississippi State hater, but they're not, they're not there. It's uh, they got one win, and they're like, oh, let's crown Mississippi State as one of these top teams. I, that's just frustrating. I just, I think they just royally screwed up these rankings. It just, it makes no sense. And I, and I, I do think they're gonna, they're gonna figure themselves out as time goes on because we've got a lot of these teams still have to play each other. We'll have Alabama still has to play Auburn, and though as we've talked. Bo Nix and Auburn, they've become my boys. I, uh, Bo Nix can save us a lot of, lot of frustration, and I hope he does. Um, and, I mean, Cincinnati, they've still got a game against SMU. Michigan State obviously has to play Ohio State. Michigan has to play Ohio State. Uh, so things are going to figure themselves out. But the College Football Playoff Committee has had all this time, and they're like, hey, we've watched all, they, we've watched all these teams. If you're watching the YouTube, I'm doing air quotes. Um, we've watched these teams. We, they should know who the top four is. They've seen all the discourse online, and they just royally screwed it up, which is very unfortunate and very frustrating, uh, especially for someone that doesn't really have a dog in the race because Tennessee is going to be fighting for six and six. I want the best teams to get a chance, and Cincinnati should be there. And for some reason, they're not, and it's very frustrating, and I hope it figures itself out because if not, that is just a, a royal screw-up. Yeah, I should be a little bit more fired up thinking about it, you know, because Michigan's still number seven. They still have a real shot to make the college football playoff. I, I just still have written off the, the chance of winning at Ohio State this year or at home against Ohio State. Even even at home, that's still going to be a tough game to play. So uh, I've already put that out of my mind after losing to Michigan State. But, you know, I think there's, you know, uh, I think, like I said, the facade of the college football playoff committee being this like unbiased, neutral all-knowing committee has has just been broken completely i mean i, I think i i can't remember who did it it was someone in espn but they did a good job of comparing the resumes of cincinnati and michigan state and it's like how do you have these teams four spots between each other i mean michigan state did worse against indiana their only common opponent and Cincinnati, meanwhile, is way more balanced than Michigan State. I don't want Michigan State is a good team. They just beat Michigan, but uh, their offense 
carries their team. Their defense would be very liable to, against some of these better teams. Cincinnati has a much better chance because they have an offense and a defense to throw at a team. So I, I think it's, it's very weird. I, I think they're so similar to have them so widely differing in the, in the rankings makes no sense to me. I think they have like four teams ranked right out of 25, maybe <laughs> five. I think they have Georgia, right? And that not hard. You got Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma's right. Eight seems right for Oklahoma. 13 seems right for Auburn because Auburn, 13 seems that's like a, just a lucky number. Auburn can do some <laughs> weird stuff. And then I like Kentucky at 18, so four. They got four teams right out of 25. Wake Forest at nine is probably fair. Out of that, that's that shouldn't I, – I know I'm not the college football playoff committee, but it seems like I should agree with a little bit more than four out of 25. Yeah, I, and I mean, like, I, I think there's just such a weird – you know, we just don't know what to expect at this point. Like, what what does a loss do to a team at this point? If Oregon can lose to an unranked Stanford team and be ranked fourth in the first college football playoff committee, if, uh, you know, Ohio State's up there, if Alabama's number two with a loss to an unranked Texas A&M team, I mean, uh, the things that they've done, it just it isn't consistent. I think that's the biggest thing. It, it's never been consistent. We never know what to expect with these rankings. And that's why it's always shocking to us when it comes out. It's like, all right, I, I can even understand if you're going to be different from the AP poll. But when you're this wildly different from the AP poll, there's, got, there's something different. You're putting some extra thought into it or not putting enough thought into it that you need to be. So there's something wrong there. They've got to fix things. Um, and, and I, one of the worst things about it too, is that, you know, even if like, so if you go back to the BCS time, if we were like, okay, these rankings suck. Well, it's a formula. We can't really fix the formula. It's good. You know, the, the, the season's going to play out. You have to play within that formula. Now we don't know what's going to happen next week. We, the committee might go, Oh, sorry guys. We didn't realize how bad we were at ranking these teams. And all of a sudden Cincinnati is going to be number two, Michigan state could drop down to five. And all, now all these teams are going to be like, what's going on? What do we need to do to be in the top four? It's that's, I think one of the biggest problems and something that we need to fix moving forward in these, with these committee rankings, the consistency is, is so lacking uh, and it's become a big problem. Um, we will move Agreed. on. <laughs> we will move on to my question, and it's a bit more uh, personal to me. Uh, after the big loss that we took this weekend uh, to Michigan State, uh, dredged up all the same questions about Michigan as we failed to win a big game, failed to win a rivalry game, failed to beat a top 10 team on the road. Um, and I, I, as I told Dylan this week, uh, the reason I need to ask this question is I spend all my time around either Michigan fans, Michigan state fans, or Ohio state fans who obviously all have their own personal biases towards Jim Harbaugh. So I need to know from an outsider perspective, is Michigan wasting their time keeping Jim Harbaugh around, or does he still have a chance to be what everyone thought he was when we hired him uh, at this point? So this is a very difficult question because I think Jim Harbaugh is awesome. I do. I think, I think he's a very good coach. And I think if anyone looks at it, where Michigan was before he got there and what they're doing now, I mean, it's, it's, it feels like night and day. It feels like it's a different program almost because Michigan feels legitimate. It feels, they feel like a big dog, but they just keep coming up short. And, and it's very frustrating. It has to be, I imagine. But I mean, I don't think, the, I don't think Michigan's wasting their time at all. Cause it, it just feels like the last few years, they're just like one one or two guys away from being just elite. 
And I, I thought this year, we've talked about, I thought Michigan was legit this year and they still could be. I mean, they, they can beat Ohio state They're They could have a real argument to be in the top four when things uh, come around, as long as they take care of business against everybody else. Um, but I do not think they're wasting the time with hardball because if Ohio state's cooking, it probably doesn't matter who the head coach is because it's going to take an act of God to beat Ohio state most years. Cause it's, it almost feels like a head thing with Michigan right now. It's like, we can't beat Ohio state. Like since we've done this show, whenever college football's come up, you're like, well, it's Ohio state. That, that's going to be tough. It will, and it will be, but I mean, it almost feels like Michigan has all these elite players. They've got guys that are going to go in the first round of the NFL draft. They've got elite NFL athletes, but it's like, well, it's Ohio State. Why, why even show up? They're gonna. They got Chris Olave. They got C.J. Stroud. They got the U-word kid who's like 16, but he's basically Peyton Manning. Uh, I just, I feel like it's a head thing, and I don't know. I just, it just feels like they're a piece or two away, and that's what it just feels like. And it feels like even if they get the pieces it might still be a piece away. And it's just, it feels like it's forever in the chase, which sucks. So maybe they are wasting their time. But then again, you don't want to let go of a good thing. You got a good thing going at Michigan. I really believe that. Um, It's just, you got to deal with, in the same era of college football as Ohio State doing what they've been doing for the past decade now, since um, Urban took over and then Ryan Day now. and then. If you can get past Ohio State and whoever else is killing in the Big Ten that year, this year Michigan State, last year uh, you had other cats doing great. I mean, yeah, Penn State's competing all the time now. I mean, there's just so many dogs in, in the Big Ten that are trying to take that step up there with uh, Ohio State. That's tough. If you can get past that, you got to deal with the Georgias and the Alabamas. And then Clemson obviously is going to be back, I'd imagine. I don't think – that this is the dynasty's own. If it is, that'd be kind of cool. Somebody else could step up. But I'd imagine someone will step up in that Clemson spot if it's not Clemson. So it's frustrating because it's like, well, do we make a move to try to strike with our iron top? We've, we've got this momentum. Let's go get a guy that can maybe take us to the next level, but it could all fall apart. Trust me, Tennessee has been there for 20 years now, it feels like. Uh, so I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. It's, one, it's a conundrum. Because I think Harbaugh's the guy, he just he just feels like Michigan right now. He's a Michigan man. You always hear that. And he feels like a Michigan man. It's it's Jim Harbaugh. And he feels like that program. And that I think that's an important part of a head coach in college football. But, yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough because there are just there's so many hurdles. And it just feels like there's a few pieces away, a few pieces away. I don't know. It sucks because there's no right answer, I feel like. Because I feel yeah. like someone that's a little, little more aggressive is like, yeah, they are wasting their time. I don't think they are. I think Harbaugh's the man. And when, when it does happen, it'll be so sweet because Harbaugh did it. But I don't know. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot to, to – I mean, it's tough when you're when you're within this state and within the – you know, you're living through it, you know. You know, he's still, you know, never beaten Ohio State, really never even come close other than that, you know, the JT Barrett spot game, which, you know, I could go on for hours on that. But, um, you know, what – it's tough because, you know, what, like you said, the recruiting is getting better and it's, and it's almost there to, you know, to a point where um, we could be competitive, but with what Ohio state's doing, it's just almost futile at this point, unless you're going to go out and get someone that's going to compete with them, which is, I mean, only Alabama is really competing with Ohio state in the recruiting ranks right now. So um, it's tough to even really put it at that level. Um, 
Ohio State really took advantage when we were down during those Rich Rod and Hoke years. And I've always said, you know, if there was a team, if there was a coach that could do that to Ohio State, it would be Harbaugh. Uh, if Harbaugh was still here and all of a sudden, you know, Ryan Day had a, a faltered season, all of a sudden I think Harbaugh would just start swinging those commits and he would all of a sudden be recruiting just as well as Ohio State would. Um, I think that's a thing that you need to keep in mind. And then the last point that every Michigan fan will always make is, you know, who are we going to get that's better? Uh, we've always looked uh, you know, every year it comes down to it is like, well, should we get rid of Harbaugh? And it's like, well, who are you going to get? I mean, really it's only Lincoln Riley or Ryan day and none of, neither of those guys are going to leave. Uh, Urban Meyer is never going to take the Michigan job. So uh, where where do you go that would be better than Jim Harbaugh? I don't think you're, you're kind of stuck at this point. You're only going to get like a lateral move or, or a move down, or you're really going to be taking a gamble on someone that you hope is going to be the next big thing, which I mean, at, at this point, I think I'm going to stick with the safe option. Take Jim Harbaugh. He's getting, he's getting us, you know, those five-star quarterbacks. Now uh, things are changing a little bit in Michigan, you know, it was a tough loss to take, and I'm sure a lot of Michigan fans are are still trying to get their emotions together after last Saturday. Uh, but I, I think it all comes down to the same point. I don't think we can get anyone better than Harbaugh at this point, so we basically just got to stick it out with him and hope that at some point Ohio State just trips and, and makes a mistake at some point, and, and we can take advantage because uh, – like you said, you, you can make a wrong hire really quickly and all of a sudden things go badly. And uh, with the way college football is right now, I, you know, we made that mistake with Rich Rod, uh, then to Brady Hoke, and we got lucky that we got Harbaugh back. You can make that mistake now and never come back. You know, you could, you can kill your program basically with one bad hire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, and I don't even think Scott Frost is that bad of a coach. I think that program's just in, in a bad spot. Uh, and I just I feel, I feel awful for Nebraska because it's like, who wants to go to Lincoln, Nebraska to play college football now? Like, right. I hate to, like poop on Nebraska, but like, you got so many other options. And it's I Scott Frost, I I same boat as you. I think he's a good coach, but woo wee, that's a job and a half. And I do not think Michigan wants to hop in that boat that Nebraska's in. Yeah, no, we don't want to get back into that revolving door of just trying to find a coach and, and figure and having it blow up in our face. We need to be in a, in a better spot than that. So um, I'm okay with, with sticking it out with Harbaugh right now, but uh, it can only get so much worse. Another big loss to Ohio state at the end of the year uh, could be disastrous for him. Cause I mean, I think that's a big part uh, from an outsider perspective that doesn't really uh, resonate. You know, when Brady Hoke was here, he, he was bad. He wasn't a great coach. There was a lot of flaws with Brady Hoke, but every year he competed with Ohio State. Every year Michigan almost was there with Ohio State. Never beat him or beat him one time, uh, but never was never was blown out by Ohio State in Brady Hoke's time. Jim Harbaugh has been blown out almost every time, and that's a, that's a very hard thing for Michigan hands, fans to swallow. I know Ohio State's been a lot better, um, but it's very hard to swallow when – you know, you go in favored and you lose like 52 to 31 and you're just like, oh my God, this, this hurts. <laughs> this sucks. Uh, okay. Uh, that will do it for the Q and a, uh, love the stuff there as always for our last main topic. We talked about it a bit last week as we were wrapping up, but we need to go over these, uh, overtime changes that the NCAA has put into place because that Penn state Illinois game from two weeks ago was something else. 
Uh, if you somehow haven't seen it or don't know, a quick breakdown. Instead of the old rules of being forced to go for two after the third overtime, uh, now you, that, that rule is in effect for the second overtime. And then after that, you basically go into a two-point conversion shootout where each team is trying to convert a two-point conversion from the two-and-a-half-yard line, uh, and then we just go back and forth until one team has made it and one team hasn't. Uh, they were supposed to cut down the amount of overtime periods and cut down on injuries from playing all those extra periods. Uh, and then Penn State, Illinois just showed all the flaws in that by playing the longest game in NCAA history and the Illinois quarterback breaking his arm in the process, losing him for the season. So uh, Dylan, we talked a little bit about this at the end of this end of last week's episode, but uh, what are your thoughts on these new OT rules that we've got this year? They suck. They're they're awful. I, I thought college overtime was, like, perfect. I didn't think it could be beat. Like, it seemed like we always complained about NFL overtime because NFL overtime isn't very good, and it never has been. And it was like, well, what if they did what college does and everything would be fixed? That's a fair way to do the whole overtime thing. And then they went and made, like, I don't know what they were on when they had that meeting but my goodness what a decision because that sucks I am not a fan and I I could not imagine being a Penn State fan and losing a game like that and like that was a huge game for them to lose because they should have beat Illinois Illinois is not very good their best player is their punter and their punter is very good but when your best player is your punter you're not going to win very many football games especially in Happy Valley against Penn State against a pretty good Penn State team so that I mean that just I when whenever Tennessee does eventually lose a game this way because they will I and my luck it'll be this weekend when I'm in Lexington to watch them play Kentucky it's gonna hurt and I oh man Tennessee's lost a lot of games that have hurt but that that feels like it'd be a special kind of hurt and I just imagine like going into like really big games like bowl games playoff games national championship games. Losing one of those games like that, no thanks. I go back to the old way. Like, I don't want to sound like an old man screaming at the clouds, but like the, the old way was much better. And I just not a fan at all. And I just can see the future hurt Dylan Holt from Tennessee losing a game like that. And I went no part of that future. I'll be quite honest. Um, are you as abrasive towards these new overtime rules or do you, are you a little more favorable than me? No, I am just as abrasive to these rules. Uh, I think uh, it really just showed in that Penn State Illinois game how frustrating and how long and how absolutely disastrous that could be. For, I, and I thought the same thing. I, if Michigan lost a game like that, especially in a sport where one loss means so much to your season, one loss can be the difference between playing in the college football playoff and playing in some random bowl game that really doesn't matter. The fact that you could lose a game on a two-point conversion shootout uh, would kill me, especially, uh, and I mean, this is a little bit biased, but Michigan sucks at that that type of offense. We are terrible from inside the 10-yard line. So I'm thinking about that the entire time I'm watching that game. Like, if we had to do this, we would lose in uh, immediately. We can't, we physically can't make two and a half yards if we're this close to the goal line. So uh, I, there's so many flaws with it. And like you said, the college the college overtime system was always seen as the pinnacle of overtime systems. Uh, everyone was like, all right, how do we make something that's this fair? And w- the correction to something that was super rare, by the way, those seven to eight overtime games that happened, 
happened like once or twice every two or three years, maybe. And, and, and they were, yeah, there was problems with it. We hated that. I hate that people would get hurt in those situations because uh, you know, you're basically playing like two full games, but uh, it's so rare to have to change the entire overtime system surrounded about uh, just for these rare instances uh, to something that just is terrible. And, and it just makes you think about how I, I thought very highly of the MLB after this, because the MLB has been trying to do a lot of rule changes in terms of pace of play and stuff, but they've done a lot of research and implementing like the robot umpires in the, in the minor leagues, doing things in the lower leagues before implementing them at the highest way. Uh, I, there, I've, I've never heard of a football league doing an overtime system like this. So I'm, I'm thinking this Illinois Penn state game was the first time we've ever seen that type of overtime system played. And they were probably looking at going, oh, crap, we screwed up. We, we put together a, a bad system. And that's where, you know, the NCAA is flawed in a lot of ways. Uh, but that's just another way. It's like, oh, we, we are so confident we can make a better overtime system. We're going to implement it without even testing it at another spot. And we're going to have it decide one of the biggest games of the year. Because now Penn State's got two losses. They're basically out of the uh, college football playoff scenarios uh, at, for – for basically losing a, a shootout, a two point conversion shootout. So uh, I think that's got to be tough. And, and you didn't accomplish any of your goals. The long, it was the longest game of NCAA history and the Illinois quarterback broke his arm. So <laughs> it, it seems like uh, hopefully in the offseason, they're going to go back and, and maybe revisit that because obviously there's some changes that need to be made to that. It, it didn't accomplish your goals. And I think everyone basically hates it at this point. Uh, it was exciting for one game, and I'm glad it wasn't my team in the game. But <laughs> let me tell you, it was an experience watching it with Illinois fans. That was awesome because they did not expect to win that game. And I mean, we're at a tailgate in Murray, Kentucky, and we've got Illinois fans surrounded around. And we're all rooting for the Illini. But I was like, if this was Tennessee or if this was the Racers, I would be livid and I would want to die I'd want to curl up and just die I could do it I no thanks I I need a Mark Emmerich do something about it that does not need to stay I couldn't yeah I couldn't even do it in like a regular game with Michigan State down to the wire could you imagine playing a rival in a and you're just exchanging two-point conversions walking up to the line of scrimmage like oh my god we have to get this or we lose Oh, I can see, like, next year, Alabama comes to Knoxville. Tennessee is riding high. Alabama kicks a field goal as time expires to go to overtime, and they just start trading two-point conversions, and Tennessee drops a wide-open pass to lose to Alabama, and that just, ooh-wee, I can see it happening. That, no thanks. Yeah, and, and football football is so tough, too, because so much can go wrong uh, in one play. I mean – I, I I don't want to get into the Michigan Michigan State game as much as I as I want to avoid as much as possible. But there was, you know, a lot of calls that were very questionable in that game that went very, very. I mean, they happened throughout the game, and it's just you know that's kind of what happens during a football game. There are calls, but if it had if one of those calls would have happened on a two point conversion play that I need to extend my season and not have a first loss of the season, I would. 
I don't know what I would do. Uh, those refs would be in trouble. I mean, they would be in a bad spot. I mean, that's, that's, you're putting your refs in a bad spot in NCAA. So we need to fix that. Um, we definitely need to fix that. I think we're both on the same page for that one. Um, all right. We're going to move on. That'll wrap up the main talk- topics for this week. We're going to go to this week in sports. And as we said earlier, the World Series concluded and the Atlanta Braves are world champions, bringing home their first World Series since 1995, beating the Astros in six games, concluding an awesome series and an awesome season as baseball delivered uh, a full season in its full glory after the COVID-shortened season last year. Uh, Three things we want to answer with this one. Uh, What did you think of the World Series? What did you think of the season as a whole? And what are you looking forward to the most in terms of off-season deals or, or, you know, things of that nature? Um, Very fun World Series. Uh, Very, very, very happy that the Braves beat the Astros. I think – I think anyone with a pulse was rooting for the Braves because like we said last week, Georgia sports fans have just been tortured and Atlanta specifically, those teams don't get to have any fun. They they get to have a lot of fun. They get to big games and they lose. It seems like it always happens. So it's good to see them get big win, win a championship. First time since I think 95 uh, was the last time they won the world series, which that's been a little while. So very happy for them. I wasn't alive. So pretty cool to see a, a, a different team gets to raise up the trophy. Um, the season as a whole, very fun one. Uh, it was like I've said multiple times, I, I felt like a kid again watching baseball this year because there's just so much fun happening all around the league from Shohei Otani just being awesome in uh, Anaheim, Toronto having like the most fun young core ever with Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, and all the boys in uh, the Blue Jays uniforms, Slam Diego being great for like five months and then falling apart at the end was something I did not expect. Um, The Dodgers putting together one of the best rosters ever and falling apart at the end was something I did not expect. The Cardinals being bad until August and then putting it together and then Chris Taylor ruining the Cardinal season, something I did not expect. Um, Just a whole lot of fun. And then uh, following the trend with the world series and the season, I really expect the offseason to be fun. Uh, it's already stuff's popping off. Buster Posey retired. Did not expect that at all. Just he's more than likely a Hall of Famer. I imagine he's a Hall of Famer. I don't. Baseball Hall of Fame is the weird one. I That's that's where I'm like, I think he should be. I don't know. They're weird. Uh, in my opinion, if I was voting Buster Posey's a Hall of Famer. Um, Castellanos is out in Cincinnati, opted out. Uh, they traded Tucker Barnhart to Detroit. Uh, so a lot of stuff happening in Cincinnati. Keep an eye on that with the Central. Because Cincinnati, it felt like they were right there to compete with the Brewers and Cardinals. They didn't. And now it seems like they might be the, – the wheels might be falling off the wagon. Uh, excited to see what the Cardinals do. Because a lot of talk about bringing in some kind of shortstop. But most teams want to bring in one of these big market uh, – our big free agent shortstops. So I, I a lot of people – a lot of the rumors around St. Louis, like Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, don't see that happening. I do not see the Cardinals making the moves for those. But Trevor Story, I think he's going a little bit under the radar. He's got that relationship with Nolan Arenado playing together uh, in Colorado. Bring in Trevor Story. Uh, make a make an infield of Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story, uh, Tommy Edmond, and Paul Goldschmidt. Not many infields in the MLB better than that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so very, very excited to see what the Cardinals do in free agency. And there's a lot of big-name free agents. Excited to see where they go. Uh, it's always fun seeing people go different places, put on different jerseys. Uh, and then I'm excited to learn about the NLDH, see if that happens. 
because that's big time if that does happen because the Cardinals could spend some money, get a big hitter, or call somebody up, uh, let Goldschmidt, DH, or whoever, let somebody play first or someone else play in the field. But, yeah, a lot, a lot of fun stuff happening in baseball, uh, and it'll start popping off soon, I'm sure, which is very, very exciting. Uh, all three of the same questions to you about the World Series, the season as a whole, and this off season that's getting started like now. Yeah, I'm going to echo a lot of what you said. I'll wrap it back to the World Series. Fun World Series, I thought. You know, once the Braves got off to that big start, uh, I kind of got uh, – I think we both kind of got nervous for them once they got, they got off to that big start. And then the Astros had that big game five, and I was like, oh, God, things are things are not looking good. But they ended up getting it done in uh, game six. Uh, happy for guys like Dansby Swanson, you know, the, the Atlanta native, and uh, uh, Freddie Freeman, obviously lifelong Brave, uh, looking for him to get that max deal and from Atlanta this off season, or else he might be moving on. Uh, that's something we're looking forward to. Like you said, the season was awesome. Uh, not much to say there, even, you know, it was one of the most tuned into a season I've been even when the Tigers weren't that good. Uh, and I thought it was, you know, it was just awesome. You know, all of the storylines, uh, the Dodgers being slayed, I think it's the biggest one. And then the Braves going on to win the world series. Um, and that, you know, we're going to see a lot of that play out uh, in this off season. What I'm looking forward to the most, you mentioned those shortstops that are in the, uh, in the free agency market. Uh, the Tigers have been rumored around Carlos Correa for basically all season, you know, midway through the season, we started that Carlos Correa rumor. Uh, I'm hoping that that happens. It, it's one of those deals where you've kind of convinced yourself it's going to happen already. Uh, and you're just hoping that it doesn't not happen because it's going to be a letdown if we can't get, at least one of the big shortstops, but Correa has been that because of his size with AJ Hinch has been rumored to be going to the Tigers. So I'm really hoping they can pull that off because you add Carlos Correa to that lineup with the young talent that we've got, especially on that pitching staff. Uh, the Tigers are starting to look up in a, in a weak division. I think, you know, the White Sox are very good, but other than that, the Tigers could be a competitor just like that. So I, I'm excited to see what they do there. Uh, like I said, Freddie Freeman, I, I think he'll re-sign with Atlanta. I think after what he did in the, in the playoffs and in the World Series, I think you have to pay him, even if it means uh, giving up on some other guys. And, yeah, I'm hoping for no lockout. Uh, that's been the biggest rumor is the MLB lockout coming. Uh, you know, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, we thought it was going to happen, you know, kind of immediately after the World Series, but hasn't happened yet. We've, we're going to see how it all plays out. But, yeah. That potential universal DH for the for the NL is going to be awesome to see because that's going to trigger basically 15 teams to try to have to go find a DH because you know not no NL teams really have a, a designated player for that spot. So you're going to see a lot of those teams maybe find some guys within their own organization that that fit that spot, or they're going to have to go out and make some deals. So I think that makes if that rule goes into the place, you're going to see maybe one of the wildest off seasons you're ever going to see, because there's going to be a lot of national league teams looking to buy big on DHs this off season. So uh, that's going to be fun to watch if that rule does go into place. So those are the things I'm looking for. Please, Carlos Correa, come to Detroit. Uh, we'll, we'll make you happy. We'll pay you the big bucks and, and we'll, we'll hopefully win some games for you. Uh, finally, we're going to move on to the college football picks for this week. Dylan has sure stolen my thunder with the picks in the past few weeks, but as long as I get back on track now, I should be able to stay ahead in the record for the remainder of the year, but it's definitely getting close now. It's definitely something to keep an eye on for the rest of the year. Um, Dylan has us picking between number 13, Auburn, and number 14, Texas A&M this week. I've got Wake Forest, number nine, against North Carolina, and the fans have us picking between undefeated and should be ranked 
University of Texas San Antonio versus the University of Texas El Paso. And we will start with that inter-Texas battle. Uh, who do you like between UTSA and UTEP? Meep, meep. I'm going with the Roadrunners. They're undefeated. They should be ranked. I think they're All right, I think we got you. Yep. Meet meet. I have got UTSA going into El Paso, moving to 9-0. and They're going to move into the AP poll. They're going to move into the college football playoff rankings. They deserve to be there. They're going to be 9-0 and after this week. And I just meet meet. They're, they're going to be 9-0. and You got to go with the Roadrunners. Who do you got in that one? Yep, I'm right there with you. They should be ranked. I got to go with the Roadrunners in this one. I don't know much about these teams, uh, but I do know Texas San Antonio should be ranked at this point. They're, they're going to be 9-0 after this week, getting a big rivalry win over Texas El Paso. Um, and then we're going to see you know, how that all plays out. Is I can't remember. There was a bunch of teams that just decided to leave the Sun Belt, didn't they? Or, or join the Sun Belt. Is it the other way around? Yeah, they all left the Conference USA and joined the Sun Belt. So UTSA all is gonna wild. Have, yeah, UTSA is going to have a lot of new competition coming up soon. Uh, so look for them to run away with the Sun Belt this year, but they're going to have a lot of competition soon. And that Sun Belt might be might be competing with the American now all of a sudden with the, with the teams that they're getting. That's all of a sudden looking pretty good, especially if San, Texas San Antonio is as good as we think they are. Um, all right, we'll move on to the ACC matchup between Wake Forest and North Carolina. Who do you got in that one? If you listen to our college football roundtable a couple of weeks ago, me and our uh, other one of our other fellow writers, Kobe Marcio, we both said it. The Demon Deacons are running through the ACC and that's staying true. They're going to go into Chapel Hill and get another big win uh, to just show that they're legit. UNC had a lot of hype coming into the season. Wake Forest, I don't think anyone even mentioned Wake Forest coming into this season, but they've showed uh, they're very good. And I think Sam Hartman's going to go into Chapel Hill and get a big win. Uh, who do you have in that one? Yeah, this one, I'm, I'm going to go with North Carolina in this one, and this was my thought process in this one. I have been, and Michigan has been, the North Carolina in this game, and Wake Forest is, you know, I, I feel like equivalent to like a Northwestern or, or someone of that caliber where they come in, they're undefeated, they really haven't played anyone, uh, and now they've got to play a, a program, you know, a program that has been built to play football. And I know Wake Forest is very good, uh, was definitely overlooked, but you know, North Carolina was a top 10 team coming into the year. And there's reasons why they're, they're still a very good football team. Uh, they put, they gave Notre Dame some trouble last week, if it wasn't for, you know, them pulling it out in the end. So I like North Carolina in this one. I think they give Wake Forest their first loss of the year um, and really just eliminate ACC, the ACC from the college football playoff uh, projections because there's really no chance a one loss ACC champion is going to make it this year um all right we'll move on to your SEC matchup the Auburn Tigers uh and the Texas A&M Aggies who you got in this one Bo Nix is going in to um he's going to Kyle Field and he's getting a big win he's going to College Station and they're getting a big win their rivals in the state of Alabama couldn't do it and they were all hyped up everybody's Alabama's one of the best teams ever couldn't be an unranked A&M team. 
Bo Nix and Auburn are going to go in and beat a ranked A&M team, set up a huge Iron Bowl in a couple weeks. So, yeah, I got Auburn going in and getting a huge win. And Auburn, holy, people better watch out. They're going to sneak up those rankings real quick. They're good. I picked them to beat Penn State at the beginning of the season, and I thought it was kind of a wild card. Turns out Auburn might just be good, and I, I think they are. Bo Nix is awesome. I'm fully on the Auburn Bo Nix train for the rest of the season. Uh, who do you got in the big game in College Station this weekend? Yeah, Auburn is going to be that team for the rest of the year where I just don't know how to put my like finger on them because if they go in and beat Texas A&M by like 24 points, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. They're Bo- they got Bo Nix. They got Tank Bigsby. He's a really good running back. Uh, Smoke Monday. Smoke Monday. Uh, but they could also, you know, lose four games down the stretch. And I'd be like, yeah, you know, I mean, Brian Harson's first year, you know, it kind of makes sense. It's Auburn. It's Auburn. Yeah, exactly. That's, you know, that kind of would happen. I'm going with Auburn in this one. I do like Bo Nix. I think they're in the right direction, trending upwards where Texas A&M is, they had their high beating Alabama was the high of their season. They're not going to get another high. So uh, I like Auburn in this game, but like you, I mean, I just don't know. Putting your finger on Auburn is very, very tough. Uh, I'll go with them in this game. I hope they don't let me down. (laughs) Uh, All right. That is going to do it for, for us here at the Dylan and Dylan show. Dylan, do you have any final thoughts before we take off today? I do. I'm very excited. Uh, I'm leaving uh, this weekend to go to Lexington, Kentucky, uh, to go to the Tennessee-Kentucky game. Very, very excited. Uh, it's going to be a sold-out game, night game in Lexington. This is my fourth Tennessee-Kentucky game. Uh, the first three were in Knoxville, first time going to Kroger Field. Very, very excited. Tennessee's 3-0 and in games I've seen them play Kentucky. Hopefully they can go to 4-0, and get a big upset, get a big uh, big staple victory for Josh Heupel in his first year. But, yeah, excited to watch Indian Hooker and the boys uh, play against, I guess, Chris Rodriguez and the UK boys this weekend. But yeah, big, big weekend coming up. Excited to see how the Titans bounce back without Derrick Henry on Sunday night football against Vaughn Miller and the Rams, which we Vaughn Miller got traded at the trade deadline and that completely forgot about it. So yeah, uh, big weekend of football coming up. Uh, lots of basketball going on. College basketball is back next week. Uh, and we'll talk about that next week, I'm sure. But yeah, lot, lots and lots of sports stuff going on. Go Vols, go Titans, go Racers. Yeah, it's a big weekend. Uh, I have to give one shout out before we go to Central Michigan, beating Western Michigan last night in a in a big interstate battle, biggest rivalry of their of their season. Got off to a rough start, down fourteen nothing. All of a sudden, uh, we're back, we're up twenty one fourteen because of two punt returns and a, and a receiving touchdown. Uh, it was it was an unbelievable game, uh, and I got to give a shout out to them when they can get that win. Uh, we're taking on Indiana this week. All of a sudden, it's going to be a night game at the Big House between us and Indiana, so that's going to be fun to go to. It's going to be fun environment for us there, uh, and we should be able to hopefully bounce back after a rough loss. But excited for all the all everything going on, like you said. Uh, by the time we get you hear from us next, college basketball will be in full swing. So excited to have all that, excited for everything that's going to be going on this week. Uh, I'm just excited for a, a great weekend and week of sports. Uh, that's going to do it from us at the Dylan and Dylan show. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Dylan Dylan show and on YouTube at the Dylan and Dylan show uh, on Instagram. You can find tunnel vision sports on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at underscore TV sports, Facebook and LinkedIn at tunnel vision sports and on the web at TV All right, everyone stay safe out there and we will meet you back up next week. See you later.